You're listening to the China Business Review Podcast. I'm Erin Slauson, and today I'm speaking with Wendy Cutler, Vice President of the Asia Society Policy Institute. She's also the Managing Director of their Washington, D.C. office. Wendy has nearly three decades of experience as a diplomat and negotiator in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. So first, I want to ask about the G20 meeting between Trump and Xi this weekend. Um, Obviously, the United States agreed to delay the 300 billion tariff list, but there's no timeline that has been set. Um, What are the effects of this on trade negotiations? Mm -hmm. So I think the G20 outcome is positive. I think it's a welcome development that the talks will resume and also that there will be no further tariff increases, at least for the time being. But that said, it leaves open a lot of questions, including um, what is the timeline for these talks? And really, is there any kind of political guidance about how they're going to um, work through some of the really difficult issues that prevented agreement um, in May when the talks broke down? So in your opinion, or from what you've heard, what are the most linchpin issues, the issues that are really holding back reaching a deal? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a handful of those issues. I think number one is just the two very different positions on what to do with the existing tariffs in place that cover $360 billion of trade. And here, the United States wants to keep some, if not all, of those tariffs in place until China demonstrates that it's going to actually implement what it's agreed to. And China wants all those tariffs lifted. And I think that's kind of a key issue that they'll need to work through. There's also discussions about whether and under what circumstances the U.S. would be able to reimpose unilateral tariffs and whether um, China could counter-retaliate. And finally, there's a lot of discussion about what to do with the structural issues. IPR, forced technology transfer, industrial subsidies, state-owned enterprises, Um, has, you know, um, through this agreement, are these practices really being addressed? And I think there's still more work to do in that area. There was a point in the negotiations where we thought that we were close to reaching a deal, um, and then that deal was rejected. What are some of the factors that you believe led to that, and what can we do to prevent that happening now that we have reopened trade talks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think part of it is um, what happened at the end of the of the negotiations um, in late April, early May, is that it is is a phenomenon that I've experienced in all the negotiations that I've participated in, and that is when you get to the end point, um, it's very natural to have cold feet when you look at the whole text, you see what you've agreed to, and you wonder if and when. It's, it's announced whether you're going to be subject to a lot of domestic criticism, that you didn't get enough here, you didn't address this concern, you didn't live, you know, the agreement doesn't live up to the expectations and objectives that you set out. So I think that was part of it. I think both sides got, some, got cold feet. But also I think there was a serious miscalculation on the part of China. And I think that China really thought that Trump was all in on this deal, he was going to do it, and so there wouldn't be any consequences if, in fact, they just decided to pull back some key provisions. They did that, and, you know, as the history books will show, the United States did view that as a real breach of trust and really walking back and reneging from what they agreed to. Um, And so 
you know, I think that really, you know, contributed to the negotiations going, um, you know, being derailed. Um, in terms of going back to the table, I think both sides now have learned from that experience. And I would suspect that on the Chinese part, they're going to be extremely careful about um, expressing whether they agree to something or they don't agree to something. I think that was part of it. There was miscommunication. I think the Chinese probably thought the door was somewhat open on all of these provisions, while the U.S. felt, no, 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 you had already agreed to this, and because of your agreement, we agreed to these other things. It's all a package. So I think there will be learning here. Back in April, you authored an issue paper called Strength in Numbers, um, where you went through some examples of how the United States could work with our allies in negotiating with China instead of simply relying on bilateral negotiations. Um, can you talk about some of those examples today? Sure. And you know, the purpose of the paper was to really provide concrete examples of how we could do a much better job, not only working with our allies, but also other countries that share our concerns. And maybe they don't share our concerns on every issue with respect to China, but maybe on specific issues. So we put forward a number of suggestions, including um, using international economic organizations more effectively. So for example, we have the APEC meeting coming up in November in Chile. Um, China is, has an FTA with Chile, it has an FTA with the US. Um, it's kind of viewed as kind of a, a, um, an honest broker between the two countries. And I think under Chilean leadership, we can really move the dial forward on some of the issues that have been plaguing the US-China trade dispute. Issues such as state-owned enterprises, or dealing with industrial subsidies or forced technology transfer. So that's one example. Another example is just setting, is just establishing what I would call ad hoc coalitions, groups of countries that feel feel that have that have similar concerns on specific issues. And you know, whether it be when China puts out regulations for its new investment law, can we work with other countries and really have a coordinated response on what are the shortcomings or what are the areas where um, all parties would benefit from more detail and more liberalization. Um, and finally, I think there are areas like state-owned state enterprises where um, group, a group of countries can work together on setting rules in this area. Um, for example, um, the CPTPP countries have a very detailed chapter on state-owned enterprises. The U.S. is built on that chapter in the USMCA, and in the EU-Japan deal, they also have provisions on state-owned enterprises. So that's a pretty hefty kind of group of countries that have already agreed to disciplines in these areas. So I would put that forward as really one area that's almost ripe for what I would call a plurilateral agreement, agreement among um, a small group of countries, but which over time then could be expanded to other countries and ideally over time to China as well. How could the U.S. be using the WTO um, in a more productive way to address trade issues with China? Yeah, I think the WTO does offer some opportunities for trying to address the Chinese issues um, pertaining to state-led um, economies. So, for example, we could be working with other countries to put forward dispute settlement cases where not just the U.S. is bringing the case, but other countries as well. We could also push for more rulemaking, more transparency in the areas where um, Chinese practices aren't, ex aren't addressed fully or even at all. 
But I would caution everyone with respect to their expectations on a WTO solution. And that is that with 164 countries, the WTO's track record um, for negotiation, frankly, is pretty weak. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I've really come to the view that plurilaterals and working with a subset of WTO countries is really the way to move forward in these areas. I think it's worth the try, um, but we're already seeing, for example, in, in um, you know, in areas that, that require a consensus, even fish subsidies, which should be a very kind of simple issue, just a lot of kind of back and forth and countries trying to water down those obligations. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. The China Business Review podcast is a production of the U.S.-China Business Council. You can learn more on our website, uschina.org. This podcast is also a companion to our digital magazine, which you can find at chinabusinessreview.com. Our music is by Ryan Anderson. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.